0: Welcome to the very first Team Guru podcast. I'm really excited to be doing this podcast series because it means I've finally gotten around to doing something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and that is to take our theoretical understanding of team and leadership development and bring it to life by talking to some interesting people who are part of some of the most successful teams right across the country. During this series, I want to discover some simple truths about team and leadership development that transcend any industry or any discipline and can be applied to your team and your journey as a leader. Today's guest, Steve Hooper. For nearly 10 years, Steve has been a strength and conditioning coach with a number of top level rugby league teams. The North Queensland Cowboys, the Cattle and Dragons, the Queensland State of Origin team, and of course, his current role at the Brisbane Broncos under famed coach Wayne Bennett. I thought I knew a lot about the way professional football teams go about their business, but it turns out I had no real understanding of the true sense of purpose and discipline they employ to achieve their goals. There are a lot of gold nuggets in this chat with Steve, and they're relevant to any team or any leader who wants to win in their particular field. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the very first Team Guru
1: podcast.
0: Steve Hooper, thanks for taking the time to have a chat. My pleasure. Steve, you probably hold a, a really unique place in the Australian sporting landscape. A lot of people, even casual fans, would recognise you as someone who uh, runs across their screen with a water bottle, but they probably wouldn't know your name.
1: Yeah, you're probably right.
0: <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what it is that you do with your water bottle.
1: With uh, the on-fields, um, Staff. Well, when, when the team scores a try, the nature of um, rugby league, that's the only time the third runner is uh, is able to get out there. So the yellow shirt runner, that's that's the job that I do. Um, there's the uh, the orange shirts are physio, and the blue shirts the messenger. So they can be they're allowed to be there. Um, well, the orange shirt can be there any time. Uh, the blue shirt uh, when we've got a, the ball only, and the yellow shirt only when there's a stoppage of play or a try. So. And British that's you. Of, oh, that's me. Yep.
0: You're the yellow Yeah, yep. So that's what we see um, when we watch TV and watch the games. But there's so much more to your job. I'm assuming that's the tip of the
1: iceberg. That's like the tip of the do. iceberg. I don't don't even do every weekend. We we rotate some of the travel. So so I do all the home games and then um, and then half the away games. So there's there's three of us in the job. that that sort of rotate in that one position. Yeah.
0: So what is your role at the
1: Broncos? My role is, um, is a- athletics performance coach, uh, which, uh, which is one of the strength and conditioning staff. Uh, so there's, there's three of us in that staff that are directly involved in strength and conditioning uh, and then there's a whole team underneath that as well that um, that uh, there's this um, there's two physios there's a, 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 a like a number of interns so we've got a, we've got a number of university students that assist um, and there's a couple of um, sort of part-time wage people but they're actually full-time that's they're trying to they're like full-time interns trying to make their way. So it's a, it's a pretty large staff, and obviously there's a doctor there as well. So a pretty large staff trying to, um, uh, and as sports scientists, trying to uh, ensure that we get the best physical preparation for for our rugby league team.
0: So tell us a little bit about your job. What is what does your role look like on a week to week basis?
1: All right. So um, so I'll start because because our weeks go turn turn around from game to game. So so Friday night's a game um, game night. And uh, generally, very, being very fortunate, of the Broncos, because we get uh, the television having a Queensland team, so it's Friday, Friday, seven-day turnaround, which for um, for us is extremely important because it means you can you can really map the week out each week.
0: They've got an un- they've always had that unfair advantage, the Broncos.
1: It, it is an unfair advantage, um, it's just the way it is, and that's why. Other teams um, push so hard for another team in Brisbane, so that the Broncos don't get that advantage. No, it's, that's that's one of the really? underlying factors. Absolutely, yeah. And Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, certainly, when I was at, when I was at the Cowboys, it was um, it was difficult because we had we had enormous travel um, involvement. And although they were lucky enough to get a lot of Saturday night games because people need to travel up there, they don't. T- when it, when that routine is changed, it really mucks things around because of travel and so forth. But uh, but if we we play the the, the Friday night, so if we go uh, Friday night game. Saturday morning will be recovery. Um, so be that at we often go to Centenary Pool, but we've we've done some of the at the um, the, the uh, Australian Cricket uh, Centre at uh, Albion there, um, and various other venues as well. Certainly when we're away, we vary it around the surf and so forth. Recovery, medicals. Um, so that's a couple of hours of work there, um, and then because we've we're lucky like enough to have the seven day turnaround each week we have a day off so the players get Sunday off uh, and so the staff well not the assistant coaches because they're they're doing they do all their video work on Sunday uh, Monday we're back into it so we start um, start around seven o'clock with um, with uh, a general update on the players and sort of like a mini medical and, and an assessment on where they are in terms of uh, squeeze tests and so forth then there's a series of meetings um, Squeeze test, as in fact. Uh, well, no, 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 no. Um, so there'll be like um, a, a groin test, a, a hamstring, sit and reach, um, right. all those those types of things which are objective tests which we can, we can tell. We can just monitor where some of those important um, uh, physical parameters are for where they are sitting after the game. Right. Yeah, and so we can say, well, you know, they're still a bit low. So they may, we might have to modify what they do during the day. Okay. And, and during the rest of the week. Um that uh, they also they also have to run through a um, a phone based um, wellness test. So they say you know it's just tick or flick sort of thing, and they do that on their phones. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, we gather all that information. That's all done before we start work on on um, before they start training on Monday morning. So that helps you decide how heavy yeah. the week. So well, individuals. Yeah. So the weeks that's already been done sort of six weeks before. How heavy that's going to be, um, and that, but we just adjust that in, on an individual basis during the day. That's really important. Um, so, so they start with a series of meetings, and they have the video of the game, and generally. We as a staff we attend that as well because that's fairly important to everything as well. That that game review is then put to bed, so that game's finished from that previous Friday night. From an uh, emotional point of view, from everything. So yeah. if it's been a poor result or a good result, either way, it's finished because it's no longer relevant to the going forward. Uh, then, then then we uh, it'll be the skills. Our current setup is that we have skills first, so we'll we'll run in the morning, um, and and do their skills session, etc. And again, depending on what the periodisation is, uh, that will will determine the load of that skill session. It may just be uh, working on individual skills um, or like for a 20-minute just a mobility-type session or it's a full-on skill session depending on where we are in the season. Uh, the, the, The boys then have lunch, so we all have lunch, brunch together
0: that must um, be a great social time for the team.
1: It's good. It, it's a little bit sort of in and out because they are going the, down to the physio, back up, finishing their skills, doing the ice baths, and so they sort of wander in. But it is a it is a good way of getting them together. Yeah, uh, and also we know what they're eating. Right. So that's 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 important as well.
0: Is that the motivation for, for feeding them there at the club to, to have a? And your, other, over their diet? your
1: other your other your other suggestions as well. Yeah, the team uh, spirit. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit, there's a bit of that, but but primarily for the. Um, to ensure that they're getting uh, some good food, so that they don't wander off, because the next session is only a couple of hours later. So, right. so that, that that's all finished. That that session will they'll be running about nine nine thirty, and they'll be in the gym about twelve thirty or depending on twelve thirty one thirty two thirty those those sort of times. They've got that short break for for a meal, then they're in into the gym. They do their weight session, um, and that's it. We. Wayne's rule is that they're gone by three. Right. So they start there. They're in there between six thirty and seven. They're out of there by by three. So what's what's the wisdom behind the three o'clock finish? Well, I just think he wants them out of there in the afternoon, so they get home and they've got a little bit of time with their family, yeah. and, and on top of that, there's every chance that they've got more opportunity to get to bed early right. and be ready for the next day. So it's a, it's a recovery modality as much as anything else.
0: And and through the week. Um, and, and all of those things you've described so far. Where's where do you really earn your money? Where where are you the main man? Is it in the recovery sessions? Are you the are you the main man
1: well, in that? I earn my money between um, November and February. That's that, that's the time right. that, I, that, that, that all three of us earn, earn, earn our money. My hands-on job is assisting in the hands-on delivery of programs. So that'll be in in the weight room uh, and. When it's when again when we're periodized, assisting with the um, with the, the conditioning, the, the actual delivery of the conditioning programs, um, and then and then everything else. So with ice bars with uh, guys who are injured, I I'm involved with there because they need to be conditioned continuously as well until they back onto the field. So um, so that that's my role. It's right. so, like it's very hands on. I don't do a lot of work in developing programs. Um, most of my stuff is is at with the club that I'm at the moment is delivery of programs. So,
0: and what is the second half of the week? That those few days where they're um, they're winding into game day.
1: So so Monday that's a, Monday's a big day, although it's not the biggest. Um, Tuesday will be a light skill session, that similar sort of thing that we did. Um, uh, on the Monday, skills, and then um, they do a recovery after that. So I'm pretty much involved in that. So an, an active type recovery involving ice, stretching. Um, we m- may go off base for, for that sort of thing. And then then Wednesday is the big day. So Wednesday there's more video. Um, the, the, the skills is based around uh, what's going to happen for that next game. Um, probably, we probably – we may – we wouldn't do any conditioning on the – on, if we're going to condition, we'll do it on the Tuesday most likely if we, but, and during the season there's not a lot anyway. Um, they must like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, they get it again. They're, they're, with the advent of GPS and, um, and all that uh, data collection, we're able to ascertain what it, the load of each session is and it's, it's as much as trying to pull them back as, as to get more fitness into them because they're, they're getting that out of the skills and the drills that they're doing. So that's that's pretty clear now, and there's a lot of data that's that, that says there's no need to be doing Forming extra sprints them. and, and yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah, so as, as long as we maintain their agility and speed, and um, and maintain that um, cardiovascular fitness, then then they're fine uh, with what with what the skills that they're doing. There's not a lot of guesswork involved. Not on. a lot of guesswork. No, it's, it's all pretty, and it, and and uh, we, we've got a sports scientist on our staff as well, and he's a very smart man who who um. Constantly dragging in different formulas and so forth to 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 try and determine what the what the appropriate workload is for for these guys and um, how we can better monitor that and better to, better you know moderate it and so forth. You must have seen some enormous change. Yeah, from when I first started. So what's actually done is not a hell of a lot different in terms of the on-field stuff um, and and the weight stuff because the, the, the gist of that's been the same and still the same it's just the fine tuning of all that right. um and and the objectifying of it all and uh, through through actual raw data that's that's gained from gps etc um and and the accountability that that happens as a consequence of all that that data retention yeah yeah so that's 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 probably the, the biggest changes whereas back when i first started was well, we, we knew what Programs and what you're supposed to do with them. And we, you just sort of think about what's the best way of um, making them um, specifically fit. Yeah. Um, so let's run down that way with those little programs. But there wasn't a lot of, I mean, any of the analysis of game analysis, et cetera, was done through videos right. rather than through actual GPS, which is amazing.
0: And I imagine in times gone by, most of the team would be on the same program, whereas now it'd be a lot more individual.
1: Um, well, I think they attempted to, to vary things. To a certain extent, because the because the because the data that had been done certainly indicated that different positions were required different workloads. But but now because of what we've got and probably the staff as much as anything else. So there used to be just one strength conditioning person right. for a team. Yeah. Uh, one uh, one coach and etc. Because we've got the extra staff, then we're able to like a, like a a, a a speed agility session for us. There's there's three of us and we take we take different groups for different little things that. A more specific to them positionally so that's that's the example of, yeah. of how that's developed as much as anything else so wednesday's the big day and wednesday's big day yep yeah. so skills in the morning um they they, they have a break game. we feed them and then the weight session in the afternoon so that's that's probably because it's a big tactical day yeah thursday is off for the players right. um we it's for the um nrl players we have um, Queensland Cup and and our extra players there on Thursdays generally, depending whether or not they've depending on when they played as well. Um, so the second tier players and they might do some skills uh, on that day, but and they'll they'll probably do some weights on that day as well. So that gets them up to speed with everybody else. Friday is a very exciting day, like usually down this club, which is different from the other places I've worked um, day before game day. So it's called Captain's Run Day. Um, that's just uh, there's there's again video session and then and then it's a, well it's not light skills but it's a, about a, an hour of skills which is your pre-game your last run before you play.
0: And when uh, You know I've heard the term captain's run a lot. Is it really run by the captain? No, they they,
1: they <laughs> no. Yeah, that's where our our um, coaches really earn their money. There right. may be at in some teams certainly Origin teams would have. Uh, a ten minute period where they run unopposed. So unopposed is when there's nobody against you, um, which is the way I used to train when I'd play, and anybody in my generation. That's how we. That's how all of our training was just unopposed. You'd have nobody in front of you and run and tackle there. And it was a somewhat of a
0: surprise on the weekend to see an opposition there. People actually tackling. <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: so we, we, we do a lot of contact work at training. Um, which is uh, a game has to be factored into them to load that occurs to them which never happened that didn 't happen twenty years ago um, so that's that's part of our job as well trying to monitor that because the coaches want to get plenty of contact into them so that they 're prepared properly for the games yeah, yeah. so so that's uh, that, that, so they have that session there's plenty of media there uh, at, the, at this place there's there 's usually a big crowd the people come and watch our last session a couple hundred people the, our um, promotions people often run little tents and they have um, uh, have sponsors there sometimes and in, in a tent overviewing having breakfast overviewing the last session so it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a big thing and uh,
0: 10 years into your career you still find that exciting
1: uh, last day before tra- before game day captain's run it's yeah, that's, that's like the culmination of the week everything in this in this game everything culminates to that, to the game day yeah so that's the last thing you do is game day, we have a big barbecue there and, um, and the players all together have, have lunch and then they go off and they, that's it, the afternoon, the, it's, it's dead, the place is dead. But that's very, very exciting, the last session, yeah.
0: I bet it is. Yeah. So you've got a role that I'm sure a lot of people would tell you they want. They, they want to do what you do. How did, how did you get yourself in that position? You and I met a long time ago when you were a PE teacher and I was a, a uni student pretending to be a teacher. How did you go from being a, a diligent PE teacher to someone who was the strength and fitness conditioner for the State of Origin side? Uh,
1: just to be clear, I was your assistant <laughs> with the Origin side. I wouldn't want anyone to get the, 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 the wrong idea. It. Yep. So, but um, I think the. For me, um, when I, I actually worked a years when I left school, uh, rather than going straight to uni, and uh, I used to work right on the river uh, in Brisbane at the old AMP building, and I look out and see everybody outside, and say, well, I want to get a job where I can, um, you know, be looking after what people do when they're running and training, maybe something with footy. So I thought. Well. Maybe physical teaching is probably the best way that I can do that and uh, so, so that's what I did but probably my whole of my teaching career I was thinking how I can move out of that into working full time with football, uh, with rugby league. And, so the uh,
0: teaching thing always felt temporary, like a start? It always career. felt temporary for me, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, but, um, but obviously it gave me some great skills and certainly in terms of my job which is really I'm just a teacher, um, it was a great uh, learning place for me. The, the the end goal for me was to try and move into training as as a preferably rugby league coach in some particular format so that was that was my goal
0: so how did you take that first step when you when you, you left teaching what was your what was your first job
1: when, when I left teaching I um, did uh, I was talking to uh, to I was at Norths at the time they were a feeder club for the Melbourne Storm a pretty strong Feeder club, and um, so Billy Slater, um, Greg Inglis, uh, Cameron, uh, Cooper Cronk, uh, Cameron Smith, all those guys went through, went through Norths uh, on their way to full time in Melbourne. Um, and there's a number of coaches that that went went the same thing. Anthony Griffin, who ended up doing the uh, the, the Broncos, he had his first assistant. Coaching job down there. Um, Mark Murray coached uh, the Storm, um, and then came back and was the CEO there, etc. Anyway, I was talking to talking to to um, to Mark, and uh, I said the, the, the uh, we were just talking about the development job came up for grabs, and I said, well, I could probably do that, and the money wasn't very good. And I said, if you can just squeeze a little bit more out for me, um, and he he said that'd be all right. That sounds sounds okay, and I was in a position where I was able to move over to that financially, um, and. And that was a that was a start.
0: And uh, do you see that that that's your big break in, was, in the path that absolutely. you've come
1: along? If I if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have. I don't think I had to take a take a chance uh, and drop money, etc. Um, but it just meant that I was then exposed to another. Uh, another series of people and other groups of groups of people and, and another opportunity to to move closer to to where i am because you're a long way from professional sport as a school teacher yeah. for example you know you you're such a long way from it and most people are a long way and that's that, that that's that's why a long way from those from that group of people that all that that actual organization um, although you're sort of fairly close and you might discuss things with people, et cetera, you're actually, so from being there, so, so there's a lot of steps to go before you can finally get there. The job that I had just chunked away a lot of those steps. So
0: in, in your time in this type of position, you've been with the North Queensland Cowboys twice, the Cattle and Dragons, um, and now with the Brisbane Broncos. Tell us about the things that you've learned along the way. What Steve Hooper, the the, the athletic performance coach now at the Broncos, what does he know that the very first Steve Hooper strength and conditioning coach at the uh, North Brisbane side didn't know?
1: Actual content knowledge. I've, I'm so much, I have some, because I've been exposed to so many different groups of people and very smart people and so forth. So obviously I know a lot in terms of that. In terms of basic work ethics and, and, and that. Along that sort of road, I I don't think things have changed too much for me, Um, and uh, I think I think that's I think that's the basis of everything that I do is is having a a very strong work ethic, and I guess um, like being professional, I think that's because obviously I'm involved in a professional um, sport uh, where results are paramount to everything, and losing, uh, and and how you play and how 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 ultimately doesn't mean anything so the only thing that means something is winning um, and and therefore everything has to be geared towards winning it, you, anything that's that's not trying to make everything the best that it possibly can be is a waste of time so don't waste your time on something that doesn't lead towards that end goal i, I think that's probably i think i've always knew that um and i've, I've always guided what i've done around that sort of philosophy and I, think, and I think anybody who's trying to, to do what, I, what I've done um, in, in a professional sport, you just can't do it any other way. Everything has to be geared towards winning or, or doing your absolute best at what you're doing in that little job.
0: You had a, uh, a long career yourself as a first-grade player in what was then the Brisbane Rugby League and, uh, and now known as the Queensland Cup. When you think about the players in the Queensland Cup and the, the players you played with uh, compared to the NRL they um, the NRL guys are generally fitter and stronger and faster more skillful but are they better
1: at being in a team that's a pretty good question I think guys in the Queensland Cup have to really um, there's a lot of good individuals and they stand out in the in the Queensland Cup I think in the NRL, sometimes it's it's a lot easier to, to to be part of the team because there's there's such close scrutiny of individuals' roles, and I think um, being full time NRL players have a much more a much smaller role to play, um, and they have to stay within that role, and they're given um, they're given uh, really good guidelines on what they have to do. And look, uh, if, if I just digress a little bit, I, I think. I've worked with some really, really good coaches, but uh, uh, Wayne Bennett uh, is is simply amazing in, in my eyes and, and I think one of the, the very best things that he does is ensure that his assistants, um, Kevin Walters and uh, Steve Kearney and himself provide, and, and all of us as staff, uh, we provide really tight, detailed roles for each each player within our, within our organisation and... I think that makes playing within that team so much easier. So um, the
0: clarity of role is the thing that really separates the cla- NRL from well, the World
1: Cup. It separates the coach that I've I've got at the moment, and certainly um, the co- other coaches that I've worked with do that in varying different degrees as well. And, and I would say I, I would say that would be the big difference between the the two those two competitions. Do you think it would be a surprise for a player who
0: comes from the Queensland Cup into the NRL, probably someone who was a star in the Queensland Cup who then comes into the NRL, would they be surprised by how specific their role is and, and how narrow their, their brief is within the team? Uh,
1: it would depend on the player. So if, if we signed someone like Anthony Milford, who's extremely um, uh, adventurous and so forth, with his, and then that's what demanded, and if he was a Queensland Cup player, I think he would still be given that right Within within some some parameters, but I think for the majority of players, particularly if you're a, if you're a, a forward um, and even a back, uh, but particularly a tight forward, um, your role would be very very specific. And I think you find that well, a lot of them talk about it as being easier right. because they don't have to worry about what's on either side of them. They just have to concentrate on their little job and their little corridor and whatever that is.
0: And does that narrow
1: focus, that
0: very clear role description and purpose, spill over into the support staff and, and the coaches themselves?
1: Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, certainly. Our our um, uh, and I think there's a, a couple of other things. Like, so you need to ensure that everybody knows what that is. So, so with us at the moment, we've got a lot of a lot of staff, and we've been on a tr- transition. With that staff, because um, there was obviously there was a changeover of, of staff since some new new staff came in with, from the new regime, which was Wayne's Wayne's Group, and there was still some staff who stayed from the previous system that had been there. So that so what was important with that was that um, you did know your roles. And the very first thing that Wayne did <coughs> when he came in, we had a meeting of the entire staff, um, development staff, uh, the, the strengthening staff. Coaching staff, administration staff for the for the rugby league team. Um, he had everybody down there, and he went through. He had, I think he had some notes. I can't quite recall. He might have just done it. He said he went through everybody's role. He went through everybody's name and what everybody's role was on the very first day. So not only is
0: it important that the individual knows what their role is, it's also important that that individual knows what everybody else's role is.
1: Yeah, and you're not going to remember that the first time, but yeah. but it becomes clear later on and and you can go back to that and and um, it's important that everyone knows what their role is so that because it's again with that that goal of winning it becomes a waste of time if anything is done that's not towards that goal and if um if if um I'm off on a tangent doing something I'm wasting half a day doing that which is not geared towards producing the uh, the the end goal which is winning the game and and is that
0: Part of the culture is so strong that someone will quickly pull you into line Absolutely. and say, Hey Steve, Absolutely. how's this and
1: contributing? I'm accountable for it. And uh, at the end of the day, if I, if I do something that that um, that uh, makes it more difficult for us to win, then I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. And I'll lose my job and so forth. So that, that, that's the biggest difference that I've, I feel with what I do and what I did before as a, as a school teacher, for example, because I mean, something can happen and you might lose an exam or whatever. And ultimately, nobody's going to die, and it's, it's not a problem. And nobody, hopefully, nobody dies in my job either. But if we lose, it's that's like it's like a, is that a, a death in the if, family. Well, in some respects, I mean, I'm just being overdramatic, but but everything is geared towards that. I just can't. I can't emphasise that enough. Now, John,
0: that's fascinating. Mm. It, it really is, and you've you've hit on a number of points that are so important when we talk theoretically
1: yeah. about
0: high performing teams. That that idea of of role clarity and yeah. not just knowing your own role, but knowing what everybody else's role is, and and you've really emphasised. The, the thing that separates a really high-performing professional team is the fact that everything you do must be geared towards winning, yeah. towards achieving your goals. And if you're not doing something that is geared towards that, then you're wasting everybody's yeah. time and you're, in, in in fact, detracting from the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's yeah.
0: very interesting. Tell me a little bit about the team dynamics. Now, I'm as As I was preparing for this interview, I was fascinated to know about... You're in a, in a team of, of um, support staff, the, yeah. the fitness guys. There's a team of, of coaches, the, the head coach and yeah. the assistant coaches, and then, of course, there's the playing team. Are you all one big team that, that has different specialties within that team or is there very much a separate playing group and you're there to service them like a Formula One pit crew? How, how's the team dynamic
1: work? Uh, the, the, the whole team is, uh, again... That's got to be drawn by the the head coach, and uh, I, I've been in a couple of different systems where the head coach has um, done that in different ways, to, to different um, degrees of success. But all of the ones that all the coaches I've worked with have a good understanding that that's really really important. Uh, I know, um, Anthony Griffin, the guy I worked with last year, he, um, he tried pretty hard to make sure that, um, that as a group of coaches, we were the best that we could be. And, and, and that was, that was a, um, you know, that was one of his little catch cries for the season. And then to draw that within the whole team as a whole. So, so, um, and, and, and Wayne, obviously Wayne does that continuously with, with what, with what he does. Um, Neil Henry, I remember Neil, uh, at the Cowboys, do, at the Cowboys, would 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 do the same thing, um, and encouraged, encouraged very much uh, like a camaraderie amongst the group of coaches uh, outside of work time and during work time because that's that's his nature. He's very um, very serious, but a, but a very fun-loving guy who can turn things up, turn things on and off like that. And then to draw all that together with the playing staff as well. So. So I guess um, it, it's pretty clear that that we're separate from the playing playing staff, and yeah. there has to be a uh, not an us and them thing, but yeah. but certainly these are our roles. Yeah. Um, but but at the end of the day, um, we all are going for for the same thing, um, and that that's reiterated constantly um, in in communication between when I'm communicating with players, and if there's ever uh, some sort of a a problem with what's happened. At the end of the day is uh, well I'm just trying to make you better so yeah. that we can work together to get that goal and, and that then generally that brings every, everybody back on focus
0: well, I always imagine especially at the NRL level because they're full- time and and they devote so much of their week to spending time with each other the players are very close they, they seem close that that comes across clearly is it the same with you guys or are you Almost like a teacher-student relationship, where they're the, they're the kids who are having a, a really fun time, the best time of their life, and you're the more mature adults within the club who are who are providing wisdom and and that high-level scientific service.
1: I think there has to be some. I, I wouldn't say again the us and them thing. It's not like a teacher-student situation. Um, it's that what I said before is probably the best way I could describe it is. Um, I'm trying to help them achieve um, what they are uh, for them to be their best. So I've got some knowledge in an area. The other guys have got different knowledge in other areas. The coaches have got their knowledge in what they're doing and we're all trying to work together to get that end goal, that win. So that's, um, I, that, that's the way I approach it um, and, and I try and be an, as, enthusiastic, as enthusiastic as I can, um, work hard that they see what I'm doing so that I'm seen to be helping them to achieve that final goal.
0: Are you there, mate?
1: Um, uh, I try and um, I try and uh, care for who they are because um, because that's important in my ethos of how I deal with people that I work with. And there's there's different players who I've been I've had different levels of um, relationships with, different degrees of relationships, and and you you feel sort of closer to some of them than what you do to others by sheer. Um, being human beings, etc. I wouldn't say that. I, I think I would be mates with some of them, but I, that's not my goal. You know, it's I'd, not helping a win. It doesn't help us win. Yeah, no. no. Right. If, if 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 and if I if I was mates with um, some some of the guys, and and obviously the win is stands above anything any relationship that we would have. Wow. So it's a yeah. professional setup is yeah, it? Yeah. Well, that's 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 what it has to be. You know.
0: How does an NRL club walk that tightrope with players? They, they all want to stay in the NRL. They want to be seen as NRL standard players. So while everything they're doing is for the win as a team, they're also playing for themselves to a certain extent as to their sustainable career within the NRL. Is is Does that
1: ever emerge as an issue? Absolutely. Um, that, that, that emerges. I, I spoke to a player who um, I used to play with years ago who played in, what it was the New South Wales Rugby League at the time, so he'd gone down there and played for a number of seasons, and he said to me that he felt that that they were that the players were far more self-motivated. Uh, sorry, uh, more selfish, basically, in terms of putting themselves above everything because they wanted to go forward and that was their career sort of thing. I think we had the potential of that occurring, um, and you look at overseas professional sports, NFL and. And the NBA and so forth, and you hear stories of that type of thing occurring. But what I said to you before, in regards to giving each player a, a guideline, uh, a specific guideline, that minimises the chance of somebody breaking out of that um, and doing their own thing. That's not going to benefit the team. If you do your own thing, that benefits the team. Obviously, that's that's good. Um, our coach, our current coach. Uh, in our video reviews, etc., he he will reprimand someone if in front of the group. In front of the group, because and and so have all the other coaches that I've worked with. Um, they are quite happy to do that if that person goes outside the parameters of what they've been done, and the group suffers. So so if so, very clearly, if you've got someone who wants to further their own position, um, and. And they do it and they're successful that will be pinpointed and they will be commended for making a success of it but that'll also be it'll also be drawn to the fact that that's not part of what we do and we're just lucky that it's come off but i imagine
0: if a player is truly trying to move their career forward and sustain their status as an nrl player just Playing their role would be the best way to do that, wouldn't it? Because that's Absolutely. your reputation as an NRL Absolutely.
1: Wrestler. And there's a difference. There's, there's a difference between being inspirational and doing something inspirational um, or inspiring for the team. There's a difference between doing that and um, being selfish and um, taking matters into your own hands and doing something from there, which which may or may not be, and probably won't be, um, to the benefit of the team.
0: So through your um, through your career, you've you've worked for a number of different coaches, Graham Murray. Kevin Walters in the Catalan Dragons, yep. and was Trent Robinson there
1: at the same time no, as you? Uh, Trent was he, he'd um, when I'd started working there, he was he, he'd come back to Australia and he was working I think at Newcastle or, or it, yeah, it was pretty sure it was Newcastle at that stage because uh, he was following Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith gave him a job, um, but I did work with Trent over over, over in, um, uh, in in France on his journey. So he was he was involved in his journey going forward. Um, he, he coached a French team. He was actually like a manager, so he had he had to do everything everything that to put that team that he was with, put them together, and put, put that lead them into the um, you know, the competition in a country where he couldn't speak. Well, he did speak the language. He actually speaks French perfectly. I read that he speaks yeah, French. Yeah, yeah, he also can sign. Can, sign can the, he? Like, yeah, his mum his mum has a hearing right. issue, um, and uh, he's an amazing man. Trent Robinson, yeah, and
0: reflected by the speed at which his career is, has accelerated. Probably.
1: Yeah, yeah, his understanding of all the different aspects and dealing with people.
0: There's also, um, Neil Henry from the Cowboys, and of course, Anthony Griffin and, and Wayne Bennett at the Broncos. So, a, a number of players, Davi a, a number of co- and of course, Mal Meninga yep. at origin level, a number of coaches that who are, have names we all recognize. I just want to talk, want you to talk a little bit about the, the different styles that they bring to the coaching role, and how they all achieve the same thing, essentially motivating a group of players towards one goal. Um, but I'm guessing they do it in very different ways, and I, and I'm also guessing at that level of leadership, they do it in a way that's probably quite consistent with their personality.
1: So that's I would say that's um, correct. Uh, probably. Uh, not just consistent with their personality, but consistent with their experiences as well. How they, they how they've developed as a player or as a as a coach. Or um, I think a, a real good example of that one is would be Mal. Mal's a magnificent manager at the level that he's coaching. Um, he has a group of players who need very little coaching, but they they can easily they can easily fall astray and not win. Um, and that has to be it's all those varying. Wonderful abilities that they've got have to be drawn together into uh, into a team effort, and um, not only does he have to do that, Mel, um, but he has to draw together the abilities of the coaches underneath him um, to ensure that that they are helping in that whole process as well. So as a as a man manager and um, and someone be able to do that, he's uh, could be the best that I've I've seen. He is amazing in terms of his his. Um, both his, his ability to do that and then also the progression and, for want of a better word, the improvements in his ability to do that. So in, in my three years that I was involved with him, that, that ability grew and grew and grew and developed um, and then obviously he, he just keeps developing it all the time. I spoke I spoke to um, one of the guys that worked fairly closely with him uh, and had known him since, since he started as a, as a policeman back in the 70s or 80s um, every year he thinks of something different. Something new. Yeah, something new to keep developing what he's doing and how he's moving that, that, that team forward.
0: Hence that, that team's ability to keep improving over an eight or nine-year period exactly. with the same core of Pretty much players. the same group
1: of players, yeah. It's yeah.
0: fascinating and, what, and, you know, obviously a, a terrific success. It must be funny from your point of view as someone who works so closely with him to hear that outsider criticism of him suggesting that he's not actually the coach. That must be laughable from someone in your the, position.
1: The, 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 the word is laughable because if you come inside that circle, you would see, you would see what he does to draw together a, a wide group of um, players and personalities and so forth, all heading towards the one goal. In such a in such a confined time, it's a, it's an amazing experience. You don't have um, a pre season to develop culture and, and build something. Um, you've you've got eight days for the first one, and then the whole thing is you know three to four weeks long. Um, so you have that time to to develop like a crescendo of of um of activity all leading towards three wings.
0: it must be a magic experience for someone in your role to to be part of that type of camp
1: yeah absolutely like like that was that's a dream come true like um as a as a 12 year old i remember watching the first one and coming to school the next day and i, I told this story to mel um coming to school the next day because we all wanted to be melman inger and kick the ball over and Chris Close and so forth, and to me, that was that was the pinnacle of my coaching career. That particular time, being involved with that.
0: Well, what are the what are the different needs that um, that a group have in an Origin camp compared to the week to week NRL experience? How, how how do they shape differently as a team? We talked earlier about the clarity
1: of of role within an
0: NRL side. Is is that kind of thing the same in Origin?
1: Uh, from my memories of it, that that would probably one of the strongest memories. Mel was very clear on what the individuals needed. Probably what was even more important was how that led to the team's goals. So the, the team uh, built a number of goals that they wanted to achieve through Mel and, and the team together and the team leaders um, and then it was more a, uh, a gathering together of direction towards those particular goals because those guys at that level, they know what their individual roles are and um, there wasn't a lot of time spent on doing that individual stuff. It, the, the team goal were, were very important.
0: So they know why they've been picked?
1: Yeah, they know, they know, they know exactly what their, what their abilities are and they'd be highlighted, but, but it's really important with the team goals because that, cause you've only got a week. You can't go developing individuals in, in a week.
0: What else is different about the Origin experience for uh, the players and for the coaches, for the way that the, the back end stuff is done to get to game day?
1: Oh, back end stuff, everything is. We, we try to. Um, I felt our role was, and certainly that was the, the, the idea I got from everybody else, was to replicate what happens in in their clubs right. uh, as as much as possible. Um, and um, there's a lot of work for them to do in terms of promotional things. Um, so, so all that. That white noise has has to be uh, taken away from them, so they don't have they don't have that as a as a, as an issue. All they have to do is concentrate on the field sessions and the weight sessions and video sessions when they when they come to do that, um, despite all the other distractions that that are occurring around them.
0: In uh, in the private sector in in, in offices and white-collar teams, sometimes building a team spirit can be a difficult thing to do. Mm. I'm guessing in an origin scenario that's not a difficult thing no. to do. No, that's not. Comes pre, pre, pre-purchased, Yeah, ain't.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty.
0: So when you think about there. those coaches that we talked about before, who were the two most different coaches, the ones who go about being the leader of a group of players differently from each other?
1: I, I, probably, I, I, I could talk about Kevy there, mainly because of where we were. So we were in France, and um, although we'd, we'd, we were there for two years, and um, uh, we, we, we made efforts to, uh, Kevy made efforts, so I, and I did as well, made efforts to, um, to learn the language. The language is an enormous barrier for, for going forward in, 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 uh, in that sort of competition. We actually did very well the first year, and possibly because the uh, the players that we had were able to put the language barriers aside, uh, and the next year that wasn't it wasn't wasn't as evident as it had been the previous year. And
0: by putting them aside, is it just having a number of English-speaking players and French-speaking players who can translate
1: for each? Probably that's that that that's probably what happened in that first year, mm-hmm. and and um and there was no yeah the. That would have been um, the, the, the English-speaking guys were able to have more influence on the projection of the team than, than what they what they did the, the following year.
0: I've always wondered how that works when when you have players and coaches come in who don't speak the language. You see that in the yeah, English yeah, Premier League a lot.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I found it as a massive challenge, and I spoke to you before earlier on about communication of of goals, and I think somewhere at different times that didn't happen. Uh, because even little nuances like um, breaking down a hard situation uh, with humour uh, and 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 making a little bit light of something when you're actually being pretty hard on somebody, um, which which someone like Kevin is, is a genius at, it wasn't possible because the the, the simple nuances of um, of humour aren't understood when it's the, when, it, when it's the different Absolutely. language involved, and it was it was really quite interesting to watch that.
0: Must have been a relief for you both to come back to Australia and and
1: well, it was relief and it was a it was a disappointment because um because it was a it's a wonderful country and it was a wonderful experience for us and I know I, I would have liked to have nailed it a lot better than what I actually did. And I'd I'd love to have another go at it, given what I know now. I certainly think I could do a better job.
0: So tell me about the word leadership at a a club like yours. How often is it used and and how deeply is is the term leadership understood?
1: I'm not sure that it's always is totally understood, but I do know that every club that I've worked for strive extremely hard to ensure that, that there is strong leadership there and the leadership uh, comes from firstly comes from the top this is my experience comes from the top from the head coach but then if you don't have uh, different leaders in the playing group or in the coaching group then you're not going to be able to achieve that the, those goals that the, that your head leader has put in place. So is the
0: personality and the leadership style of the head coach run right through the club? Does Is the club flavoured by that?
1: Oh, I, would, I would say definitely. Um, I, I would also say that that Leadership uh, style, whatever that might be, or the actual um, tentacles of their leadership, um, determines how well the club goes.
0: And when clubs talk about captains and leadership groups, is a, is, a, is something that's popped up recently in the last few years? What do they mean by that? Do they specifically develop those guys to be leaders? Are they are they starting conversations about? helping them think about their leadership journey or is it more an organic thing where a a senior player with um, some emotional intelligence and good interpersonal skills emerges from the pack as someone who could do that job and they kind of hand them the the captain's armband?
1: Well, they're going to do that anyway, aren't they? Those, Those people those people are going to emerge and, and don't forget all these guys that are at that NRL level, they're probably, well, they're, they're the best generally at what they do. Um, so they're going to have, have some form of um, leadership qualities um, that have occurred already in their career, be it at the 20s or be it at the, um, at the Queensland Cup or New South Wales Cup or whatever it is. So they're, they're, they're going to be some standout people anyway. So they're, they're, um, they're alpha males or whatever you want to call them. But they have to have leaders who are alpha-alpha males to step up within them as well.
0: And is, is that who it is, the alpha-alpha males, who usually end up as the captains and the leaders?
1: Um, in my experience, generally, but they, they don't always have the, le- the leadership qualities that you want. Mm-hmm. And um, I think going back to my school times and I'd work with um, the senior students it's very, very important that again we give people roles, and um, if uh, your leaders don't have, don't know how to lead, or haven't been shown what to do, or, or by this guy up here, well, they're not going to be able to do fulfil those leadership roles. So I think that's a really important, that's an important part of clubs that I've been involved with. That head leader gives some sort of direction to the leaders within his groups.
0: And you talked earlier about the fact that you're, your content knowledge in your game has increased hugely since you first started this role. What about your own interpersonal skills, your own thoughts about who you are as a leader? How has that developed along the way? How aware are you
1: of of those influences? I've changed and I, I guess I've sort of I've adjusted how I do things in over time. How so? Um I'll give you a pretty clear example. When uh, when I was um, when I first started out, I thought I would. I didn't have any music in the gym, so like so that was a, a rule that I'd put in place. They would have loved uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would fight that. Would, but that would be a rule that I had, and going forward, that would be what I what I did. I guess at some stage, certainly with the with when I was involved in the, in the French team, I I tried um, probably to uh, to ensure that. Things were done properly, done the way I wanted them done, without any questions, etc. A pretty good example of how that was unsuccessful uh, would be: I, I tried pretty hard to uh, to learn French and, and speak then give directions in French, etc. So I'd give them in French first, and then I'd give them in English, and so that the Australian players would understand as well. And I remember I said something on a bus once, and there was a guy there, Dallas Johnson, who famous player in Australian played for Queensland. Many games, very tough, hard man. He said, "said to us." Uh, so I gave the directions in French, and uh, and he, there was a big French fella sitting beside him, and he said to said to the French fella, Dale said, what did you just say?" And the French the French guy said, uh, "I don't know. I never know." <laughs> so you thought you were doing so all this thought, great I'd French been, speaking, yeah, but I've just been wasting my time. <laughs> <laughs> and no one had given you that no, feedback. No, no, no one had given me the feedback. So, but, but so I guess the, the 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 I guess the important point from that is um if you're going to be dogmatic or you're going to try and uh enforce your leadership um you need to know if it's working or not yeah and you and you need to know if if it's being successful and And if you're uh, being dogmatic you're less likely to hear about it probably that's right yeah yeah certainly from all that that experience um for for me i I thought well i I needed i need to change how i how i'm approaching things um and and um Make sure that I am getting feedback on how things. Maybe if I do allow you know, music in the gym, it's not maybe not going to affect what I what I do, and I might be able to. I can work with people rather than saying this is this is the the way it has to be.
0: So it sounds like you, you've relaxed your style, but you still have a very clear understanding that everything you do needs to be contributing to a win. Has that more, more relaxed style come with um, greater confidence in your own professional ability, uh,
1: just personal maturity? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, would, I, I don't think I've relaxed my style, but I, I, I think I've, some things just don't need to be done. I don't think that that's, some, some things that we put in place aren't really important to that end goal. And I think it's probably more important that you work out and spend your time and your energy on things that are important to that income. I
0: was looking at the uh, a list of the, the 16 NRL coaches last last night and I actually did it because I was expecting that X star players would be most of them because that's my perception as I just glance across the game. But it's actually not true. Um, of the 16 coaches... There are only six of them that were out-and-out stars, lots of Origin games, lots of Australian games. Um, The seventh, who probably fits in that category, is Ivan Cleary, who played a lot of NRL games but no Origin. Then there are a couple of solid first-graders. Craig Bellamy played 148, nothing, never played Origin. Andrew McFadden, Wayne Bennett, of course, had had his playing days. He played a little bit of state um, rugby league at the time, pre-Origin, and, of course, Shane Flanagan played seventy-eight. Played for Australia too. It doesn't say that. I yeah. thought so. Yeah, yeah he played and then one or two games. Yeah. And then I, when I looked it up last night, it said zero for Australia, and that surprised me. Uh,
1: it may have been a. Um, it may not have been a test. It might have been oh. like a. I'm not sure on this yeah. one. Um, yeah. It may not have been a. It might have played against France or somebody. I'm not sure. It may not have been a, uh, an actual test. Yeah, yeah. Because
0: I, I thought that as yeah, well. He, I was surprised. He
1: played, to learn he played one or two games. Yeah.
0: So, so there are four of them that fit into that solid first graders. Yeah. And then there's the rest. There are there are six of these guys. No, there are there are five of them, Neil, Henry, Rick Stone, Trent Robertson, Brad Arthur, Michael Maguire, who all had a bit of a crack at yeah. rugby league. Brad Arthur, for example, was told by Roy Simmons, give it away, you'll never play first grade. Yeah. Uh, Michael Maguire played eight, 18 NRL games over six years. Yeah. So they're all people who have been enrolled in rugby league all their life. Some of them made a career of it before they were... They were coaches. And my question is around we expect so much or the game expects so much of NRL coaches, but if we draw from that very shallow pool, there's a very small number of people have made a career playing rugby league, if we only draw from that pool, are we getting the best coaches possible in, in the NRL? The, the, the analogy I think of is, you know, you think of NBA players. They've got to be fast and skillful and great shooters and all of those... Amazing athletic abilities, mm. but they've also got to be six foot six. Mm. You know, you're really narrowing y- your range of people you can choose from. Are we doing the same thing in rugby league?
1: Um, yeah, well, I think that you, you probably we probably are to a certain extent. Um, I uh, like I worked with um, Anthony Griffin last year, and uh, certainly he did the job for f- four or five years at the at the Broncos, whatever that was. Um, and he had he had a massive. Uh, coaching apprenticeship uh, behind him. Um, certainly as, a, as an NRL coach he had many, many skills and he's, he's still sought after now. Um, it did, just didn't work out that he was where the direction that the, the Broncos wanted to go. So, I mean, he, he's got an enormous amount to offer. Um, working with um, Neil Henry, um, Neil played first grade in, um, in England, not Super League but whatever it was called before Super League. Uh, but he, he never played, never actually played NRL. I don't think that he, I don't think he had any, any NRL games. But his he played lower grade for Canberra. He played lower grade for Canberra. Yeah, played reserve grade. But his um, knowledge as both a leader and certainly as a as a rugby league um, a tactician is sort of is considered to be one of the best in the game. Um, one, of the, one of the best that's that's ever been. And obviously, that's one of the reasons Mel grabbed him in. In those early days, he did the first four years with, with Mel and helped turn things around With um, from a tactical point of view we in that Queensland teams.
0: Is there um, room in the game for a non-ex player, a non-star, to to cut his coaching teeth in in juniors and lower grades and, and make it to the NRL? Or does someone need to have had that playing experience to, to get the respect of the players in the room?
1: I don't know how you could do it and not have played at a reasonable level. Um, so it's like Neil, for example, had played... First grade in England, um, and was involved with first grade as a second grade player. Um, I'm not sure, and, and obviously, and had had a 40, 50 year involvement in rugby league. I don't know to be a head coach. I'm not sure how you could possibly do that. I know. Is it because you wouldn't have the credibility, or because you wouldn't have the knowledge? Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a, there's a credibility issue there. Maybe that's the nature. And going forward, our players. Maybe need to widen and soften their experience, their their um, attitude, and and maybe be a little bit more accepting. And certainly, from a strength conditioning side, there's many many strength conditioning coaches who have not played played the game, um, but have been involved at high levels of of athletics or or other athletic pursuits, um, uh, and, and do an extremely good job. Um, I know there's, there's, well, there's at least one f- um, head of performance who's a physiotherapist. That's his, that's his background. So so it's a fairly f- natural background. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is isn't, it is isn't physios. <laughs> um, but the actual playing of the game, um, I, I think it'd be very difficult. The um, just I'm just escaping the name. The, the, the great hockey coach. Uh, Char Rick Charlesworth. Rick, Rick Charlesworth spent some time as an assistant coach with one of the AFL teams in in. Perth. A
0: renowned leader, a renowned coach. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was following his following his success with the girls, the, the the hockey girls. And I've I've not heard I, I, he didn't do that for an extended period of time. So I'm wondering whether that's you know, a he, great example. Yeah. So he he's possibly the um he, you know he's a wonderful coach. Yeah. And,
0: with an and amazing reputation. Amazing
1: reputation, amazing record, and then subsequently went back and did had some success with the the the, the men. I, I'm I'm pretty sure you wouldn't say that his, his success as an assistant coach with the AFL was to that same level that he had with the other one, I'm I'm not sure why that would be.
0: If rugby league no longer existed and health and fitness no longer existed, you had to get a day job. You found yourself in charge of a team of people in in cubicle land wearing a suit every day. What lessons could you take from your career at the moment into cubicle land? What lessons of of team dynamics transcend rugby league and, and can be implemented anywhere?
1: person I've alluded to already, uh, Wayne, I feel the biggest lesson that I can learn from him and that we can learn uh, in just a normal day life is is communication and making sure that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and they know what you're doing.
0: So when you say communication, it's communicating of that clarity of role.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's that's what I find. But but then also having an affinity with the with the people that you're working with and dealing with. And, um and and building some sort of relationship with them certainly if if um, I'm in, in in the in the real world or in the normal world and I want other people to do something for me I find it difficult to I, w- I would find it difficult to be able to get them to do that if I didn't know something about them I think it's pretty important that so having a personal relationship yeah, uh, I spoke to you before before we started this, um, there was a guy who was a um, principal at the school that we both worked at. worked at was a was a brother, and and uh, he was a very wise man. And he said to he said to me, "Don't ever expect anyone to do something for you if you haven't taken the time to find out a little bit about them." So um, I think that's probably some good advice. Talked about communication. I think one of the most important things with communication is your honesty in communication. Uh, and I know from my background as a teacher very often uh, you, you try and particularly if you're dealing with parents You try and um, you try and paint a, a nice picture of something. That's a little bit horrible um, and, and you try and give it euphemisms and put it put it in the best best paint it the best way you can um, The more I the more I see and the more I do and the more I go through the, the industry that I'm that I'm in um, where where Getting the best out of people is so important. The more I'm convinced that the only way you can do that is by being honest, uh, and sometimes being brutally honest. And um, and I think the results that you can get by making it very clear uh, what somebody's done wrong and what they've done what they've done well um, is the best way to to change how they do things and to to ensure that that they are going to do it better in the future. And it's a bit ugly initially, but then the end of the day they know that you're going to get they're going to get a uh, an honest result or an honest comment from you and that's what they expect
0: and it's a brave way to lead isn't it because it's so much easier for us as human beings to to dress something up to, to much easier to, yeah. to, to to be softer on it you know the what do they say uh, iron fist velvet glove type yep. thing yeah
1: yeah um can you do that um when as a young person i think it's difficult uh, i think you have to you have to become more mature and be confident with yourself to be able to do that certainly from uh, for some of the young guys that, that i deal with that they can't like that either they've been like that or they're that alpha male person and they don't give a rat's about what you think this is, this is how the, this is what they think and if they can do that that's a pretty special thing and you know that they're probably they're probably going to um Think of themselves and and rate themselves pretty honestly, and that's the way they'll that's the way they'll do things.
0: And because players are so driven to make it in the NRL, are they more likely, you think, than than the average Joe, the average kid, to want to hear that direct advice and be okay to hear it because it's in their best interest?
1: Um, I, I think uh, I think they're exactly the same as as everybody else. The majority of them. The leaders are obviously, as I just alluded to, um, but I think they're the same as everybody else. And I think today, today's um, today's young people um, sometimes find it a little more difficult to hear the truth because we've sort of been so soft with them as they, as they come through through schooling, et cetera. And I think that's um, that's a thing of our modern society.
0: All right, right, four last question, so we can we can bore into uh, Steve Hooper deeply. What's the Friday night you would look forward to the most? A dinner party with your closest friends or a party with a whole bunch of people you know?
1: Oh, definitely I'd say the dinner party with my closest friends. That would be, I find that very, uh, very rewarding.
0: All right. Question number two, Uh, are you most likely to get bogged down in the detail of something or get caught daydreaming?
1: Uh, possibly daydreaming. <laughs> really? Interesting. Uh, possibly daydreaming, but um, but it wouldn't be for very long. So the detail, is, uh, detail of everything is how I'm where I am at the moment. But I don't think I would have been here unless I'd spent a little bit of time daydreaming. Um, I can remember running when I lived in Ipswich thinking, oh, maybe if this would happen, then that, that would happen. Just concentrate on your run. So I, I think you have to dream. People often say to me, um, "Well, how, how do I just how, how do you get where you are? What can I do?" You've got to have nothing's impossible. So I, I think if you if you've got some dreams of where you want to be, or some thoughts, or whatever you want to call a daydream, nothing is impossible. And don't let go of those dreams. Just keep going towards them.
0: All right. Question number three: Are you a slave to rational thought process, or are you likely to make decision on emotion?
1: Uh, definitely, the Rational thought,
0: yeah. And last question, you're going on a, uh, on a road trip. Are you just going to get in the car and drive or are you going to plan your stops, book your hotels and work out exactly what route you're taking?
1: Uh, I'll I, be both. I, I'd, I'd say, well, this is a rough guide because I've done it already. We've, we've planned a trip overseas. But then nah, just be prepared to go with it and see where the journey takes you.
0: Steve Hooper, thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time.
1: A pleasure, David. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to Team Guru's first podcast, a conversation with Steve Hooper. I'd like to thank Steve, firstly for his enormous generosity with his time, but most importantly for his thoughtful insight into a professional sporting outfit, something most of us only see at the surface level. There were a pile of powerful ideas in this conversation. I'll provide a summary of what I took from it on the Lessons Learned page on this podcast. Just go to the Teams Guru website. That's teams with an s.guru forward slash podcast. Keep an eye out on the Team Guru website for the next podcast episode, where again, I'll be squeezing a top level performer for insights and wisdom that will help you along your leadership journey. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.